Lord God, today it's such an honor to be in your house. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you, Father, for protecting us and getting us here safely. Lord, today I pray that we would just love you and worship you. I pray that we would just turn right back around what we learn about you and tell it to you in worship. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the beautiful day you've given us. Thank you for the salvation we find in your Son. Thank you, Father, for making us citizens of the kingdom of heaven, not because we're good, but because you're good. And we worship you today, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Aren't you glad to be saved this morning when the roll is called up yonder? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more, and the morning will bright and fair. When the saints shall gather Jesus because our name is on the roll number uh, doesn't matter what number it is because you don't have a hymn book in front of you anyway why do I sing about Jesus
today. Can we sing happy birthday to you? Would you like everybody in this room to give you $20 on the way out? I'll do one or the other. Which one do you want? Day to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Liam, happy birthday to you. I bet you'll be at the Lutheran Church next Sunday, won't you boy, all right. Oh man, I love that kid, he's a good kid. Yo, Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 through 2. There was a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and crown of 12, storm, uh, 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant. She cried out in pain, and she was about to give birth. Uh, there are going to be several personalities that we see in this text today throughout uh, Revelation chapter 12. The woman is the first one we're going to go to. Uh, you're going to see a male child, a dragon, uh, angels, and things like that. But let's look at this. In Scripture, oftentimes, Israel is called the bride of God. And I believe that the woman that is coming down, I think that this is Israel. Uh, Jeremiah 3.1 describes Israel as the wife of God, not as a good wife, but just kind of as a floozy, kind of as a skeezer. Uh, Jeremiah 3.1, if a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another woman, should he uh, return to her again? Would not the land be completely defiled? But you, Israel, you've lived as a prostitute with many lovers. Would you now return to me, declares the Lord. God is calling Israel, that prostitute of a wife, Jeremiah 3.20 has the same sentiment. Ezekiel 16, you adulterous wife, and this is, this is the prophecy coming to Israel. You prefer strangers to your own husband. Every prostitute receives a fee. Read between the lines on here. What God is telling Israel says a prostitute gets money for her services. You give it away. In fact, you pay people. That is how he is comparing Israel's relationship with him. Every prostitute receives a fee, but you, you give gifts to all your lovers, bribing them to come to you from everywhere for your illicit favors. So in your prostitution, you're, uh, you are the opposite of others. No one runs after you for your favors. You are the opposite, uh, for you give payment, and none is given to you. Therefore, you prostitute, hear the word of the Lord. Not talking to a literal woman, talking to the nation of Israel. The, the bride of God. In Hosea, Israel itself is compared to a prostitute who, who gets married to, to a guy by the name of Hosea. Her name is Gomer. That was a dead giveaway. Never date a girl named Gomer. Uh, uh, she's a prostitute, and um, he, God compares his relationship to Israel with her. So, man, that should get your attention. The wedding between Israel and God, by the way, if you're wondering where that took place, it was on Mount Sinai. That's where the covenant was made. God said, you'll be my people. I will be your God. That's where they came together. And in that relationship, God is jealous for Israel. He is jealous for the worship and the praise that, that should come from his bride. Uh, Paul spoke about that that type of jealousy that God has for the worship and admiration uh, and, and adoration of Israel, he called it, I think it's in 2 Corinthians, I think he called it a godly jealousy. Um, like any other lover, God is jealous when anyone or anything else steals the devotion from his beloved. Um, human jealousy is often, uh, we, we know what jealousy is as people, but human jealousy is often coveting what doesn't belong to us. Uh, 
That's not godly jealousy. However, God's jealousy is protecting what does belong to Him. All worship belongs to God. All adoration belongs to God. All praise belongs to God. So He is jealous for that. He knows, uh, he knows that, that when we give our affection away, or when Israel gave their affection away, it burned within Him. It made Him angry. He was jealous. And the reason is because He's crea- our Creator. He knows what's best for us, and He knows that His plan is best for us, and we give our attention away to other idols or gods or altars, of course it makes God jealous. Men, let me talk to you for a second. When you see another man flirting with your wife, that is good jealousy that you have. That doesn't make you wrong because your wife belongs to you. I'm not saying that as a sexist way because, ladies, your husband belongs to you, okay? Um, But when a a woman is being flirted, your, your wife is being flirted with by another man, you get furious because she belongs to me. I have the right to flirt with her. Nobody else does. That is what God is saying to Israel. I I have you. You belong to me. You're mine. God is saying, I don't tolerate you flirting with others. I don't appreciate you giving what belongs to me away. Worship and praise and honor belong to God alone for He's truly worthy. Therefore, God's rightly justice when praise is given somewhere else or worship is given somewhere else. God is a jealous God and He wants to protect the worship that belongs to Him. The adoration and the praise and the honor. Uh, Israel made a choice at Sinai to be the bride of God, to be the, the bride of the Father. And as soon as she got married, she opened up a Tinder account. And she started looking for other men. Started looking for other opportunities and that's exactly what happened let's go on revelation 12 3 through 6 let's look at another personality then another sign appeared in heaven an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and uh seven crowns on his head those represent authority i'm not going to unpack that his tail swept a third of the stars i think that's talking about angels in heaven there's a war coming and we're going to show i'm going to show you that in a minute the dragon stood in front of the woman israel who's about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment he's born. Satan isn't any more an actual dragon than Israel is an actual woman. The bride isn't an actual woman any more than Israel is a real woman. I tell you that because it is a sim- it's a symbol of the reality of the character and the nature and the person of Satan. When you think of him, you wouldn't say, oh, he's a, you know, he's a beautiful butterfly or he's a beautiful this or beautiful that. He's a dragon. In years in the past, a dragon, you see a picture of a dragon in ancient time, it struck fear in you. But I'm going to tell you what, a dragon still does a pretty good job striking fear in the 21st century. This was an image of, of something that was horrific and, 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 and villainous and, and, and dangerous and, and, and a murderer. You were scared to death of it. Did you know that the only Bible that calls, I'm sorry, the only book in the Bible that calls the devil a dragon is the book of Revelation? This is the only place you find it. Serpent can mean dragon. It can mean reptile. Um, several things. Um, he's the serpent in the garden if you look at Genesis 3.1. We, we typically always think of this as a snake, but I'm gonna, let me give you a little something else to think about here. Um, when Satan appeared in the image of a, of a serpent to, to Eve, he must have been walking. There must have been two or four legs on him. Because the punishment for tempting Eve was, remember, he had to crawl on the earth on his belly? So he had to come walking up there. And so when he says, okay, Dude, now, now you're just going to have to crawl around the dirt. It would make sense that if he was uh, bipedal, then 
two legs would have been gone, or if he was quadrupedal, then all four legs would have been gone. But if you took a picture of a, a dragon and then took off its legs, that makes sense. Just something to think about. It really doesn't apply a whole lot to the message. I thought it was just kind of cool. Um, but can you imagine all the people making fun of that dragon? Because now he used to have four legs. Now he has none, or maybe he had two. Now he has zero. So he had reptile dysfunction. Yep. Whatever. You don't get that kind of material anywhere else. All right. Uh, in 2017, there was, yeah, we're, going to, we're going with Liam next Sunday. Uh, there was a study done in 2017 right before COVID. It was done over in Europe. And what they did is they took 48 six-month-old uh, babies, and they, they put the babies on the lap of their parent. They put opaque glasses on, their, on the parent's eyes. They were trying to see if there were anything that we're just born to fear. Anything that we don't have to be taught to be scared of, it just happens to us. We're, in, we're genetically encoded to be fearful of these. So they took pictures of uh, fish, flowers, spiders, and snakes. They put the baby on the parent's lap, and they just showed pictures. And when there was a picture of a flower, babies, there was no response. When they showed a picture of a, a fish, no response. They show a picture of a spider, kid is not... Maybe a spider. Uh, there was a response, but not like when they showed a picture of a snake. Their pupils dilated, and they, they looked at the picture. They didn't know what a snake was, but they were, they were fearful of it. They were scared of it. The animal that you and I are genetically encoded to fear is the serpent. We didn't have to be taught to fear snakes. In fact, the, only cra the, the, the people who, who you know are crazier are the people who have snakes as pets. All right? There's something wrong with that. Because we are, we are, in, we are we're genetically encoded to be scared of the, uh, of the serpent. Because this is the symbolism. The serpent, the devil, hates God. Hates the purposes of God. Hates the people of God. The devil has been on a mission to steal, kill, and destroy anything that bears God's image, his creation, or has his heart. And because God chose Israel to be his wife, he has been after Israel from the very beginning... Because God chose Israel to redeem humankind for uh, to redeem humankind from that's where Jesus comes from, where the Jewish people come from. It's where the Word of God comes from. It's where deliverance comes from. And the thing is, the devil knows if he cannot keep his promise to Israel, why do you think he will keep the promise to the church or to the Christian? So he's after Israel. He's after the Jew. If he can take away the Jewish people, there's no way that God can keep a promise to a people that are no longer there. You look at the story of Esther. Brother Don's doing the connect group on that. Reading Max Lucado's book on that. Made for this moment on chapter 10. Um, Esther, Mordecai, uh, Haman. You've got that whole story. The whole thing of it was to, to take out the Jewish race. That was a story that happened. And if you're reading Esther on our, on our uh, online Bible readings, those drop every morning at 5 o'clock. Get in on that. But you know what? That's not the only time. You've heard of Hitler. You've heard of ISIS. You've heard of all of these groups working against the nation of Israel, against the Jewish people. But church, I want you to know there is no nation, no people who have been hated and hunted like Israel. There hasn't been. There has not been another nation who has been hunted the way they have. But if you want proof that God has a special relationship with Israel, try this out. When was the last time you shook hands with a Canaanite? When's the last time you shook hands with a Hittite? Or an Amorite? When's the last time you shook hands with a Perizzite, a Hivite, or a Jebusite? Now let me ask you this question. When's the last time you went to a Jewish doctor? 
When's the last time you went to a Jewish lawyer? When's the last time you went to a Jewish financier? The thing is, God has chosen them to be the, the, uh, the, the conduit for which redemption comes. He has a very special relationship with them, and that infuriates the dragon. We've already read that the dragon will, will have, a, have his security clearance revoked in the future. Let me remind you of that. Revelation chapter 9, uh, chapter 9 verse 1 through 2. Fifth angel, a fifth angel sounded the trumpet, and I saw a star had fallen from, from the sky to the earth. That star was the devil. I told you two weeks ago that we would talk about that uh, in more detail, and this is the day. When the devil is kicked out of heaven, he goes after Israel. He goes after Israel, those who've placed their faith uh, in God. He goes after the Christian who, comes, who becomes a Christian after the rapture. He goes after the things that have the heart of God, the love of God. And when he's kicked out of heaven, he is furious. During the last three and a half years of the tribulation, God supernaturally protects Israel. I believe that his hand is on them. And the devil is not allowed to find them, not allowed to, to uh, overcome them. He takes them somewhere during that last three and a half years and then infuriates the devil. The Bible says the devil has gone down from you. He is filled with fury because he knows his time is short. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman. He pursued Israel who had given birth to the male child. The woman had been, and the, to me, number uh, verse 14, these are the different levels of divine protection God gives Israel. The woman was given two wings of a great wing so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert. I believe that that's probably Petra in Jordan, well, where she would be taken care of for, for a time, times and a half a time, three and a half years. Out of the serpent's reach, that means for three and a half years, they are hid supernaturally, okay? Some type of stealth, divine technology, I don't know. Doesn't matter, I believe it because it's in the book. Then from the mouth, the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river, and the dragon had spewed out his mouth. Do you remember last week when we talked about how the longest fault line in the entire world, 3,700 miles long, runs smack dab through the middle of Israel? Wouldn't that be amazing if the, if the dragon releases a flood to take out the Jews? And God said, all right, and he just opens up the ground. The flood disappears. Wouldn't be the first time God opened up the ground. It all fits. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth. 17. Then the dragon was enraged at Israel and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring. Those who obey God's commandment, not just Israel, but those who hold the testimony of not just the Jew, but also the Christian. Oh my. You see, Israel is supernaturally protected probably in Petra. During the tribulation, it's going to be a capital offense to worship, and, to worship and follow Jesus Christ. Why should we care about Israel preach? Why should we care about the feast or the customs? Why is that a big deal to you? Church, if God breaks his promises to them, he won't keep his promises to us. If we can't trust him with them, we can't trust him with us. So as long as God is keeping his covenant with Israel... Church, He will keep His covenant with us and He is not a promise-breaking God. He is not a covenant-breaking God. If God breaks His promise with them, the promise you and I claim mean nothing. And God knew that Israel would reject His Son. The Bible says in Romans 11 verse 9, And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they can't see and their backs be bent forever. Again I ask, did they stumble so far beyond recovery? Did Israel get so far away from God? There's no way they can be redeemed. Uh, redeemed. Has Israel sinned to the point where they cannot be saved? Church, I've got great news for you. Listen, look what the Bible says. 
Again, I ask you, did they stumble so far beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. Church, let me tell you something. You're never out of the reach of God's forgiveness. You're never out of the reach of his mercy. You're never out of the reach of his grace. Don't you think for a second that God can't restore you because he can. They rejected him, but church, he didn't reject them. He said, you're still mine, you're still my wife, you're still my bride. Romans eleven fifteen. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If the part of the dough offered at first fruits is holy, then brother, the whole lump is holy. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you through the wild olive shoot, that's the church, we've been grafted among the others, and now we are nourishing sap from the olive root the, 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 from, from Israel. Do not boast over those other branches. If you do, consider this. You don't support the root. The root supports you, church. It's Israel that supports the church. That's where God, hey, that's not my rules. That's where God chose to. We're connected to Israel and the Jewish people, whether you, 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 you buy it or not. We're crafted in. The promises, the redemption, the grace, and the mercy, and the cross, the Bible, the church, all came out of Israel. We're connected together through Christ. Romans eleven twenty five. 25. Um, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brother, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in, until the church age is done. And so Israel will be saved. How much of Israel, church? He's got them over here in a valley in Petra where the dragon cannot touch them. That's how he will save them. Of course, he's going to save them by the blood of Jesus, but he will protect them. 26. So all of Israel will be saved as it is time, as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them that I take away their sins. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs for God's gifts and his call are what? You can't get away from God if you wanted to. If you think you chose God, brother, he chose you. He chose you and predestined you before the foundations of the world were ever established. His call on your life will never be taken away. Revelation 12, 5. Let's go on to another one. She gave birth to a son. Church, say a son. A male child who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled to the desert for a place prepared for her. that She might be taken care of for 1,260 days, uh, three and a half years. Church, what you see in that one verse is an actual recap of God's redemption plan. All the way from Israel to the Messiah to setting on the throne. In that one sentence, you see God's redemptive plan played out in a cliff note style, if you will. And that is what goes on there. The reason why you don't see the mention of Judas's betrayal. You don't see the cross. You don't see the nails. You don't see the spear. You don't see the crown of thorns. Is because we're beyond the cross. What we're talking about now is the throne. It wasn't the cross that got Jesus to the throne. It was the ascension of the resurrected Messiah that put him on the throne. We serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives in my heart. I can face tomorrow because He lives. Up from the grave He arose. Church, that's the Jesus we serve. Thank God for the cross, but I've got news for you. He ain't hanging there no more. He's seated at the right hand of the Father on the throne, and He's in control. God's always on top of the situation, even when Satan's released on the earth during the Great Tribulation. He's been released. 
Hell's been released on the earth. The church has been removed from the earth. And the devil has three and a half months, I'm sorry, three and a half years to just turn this place into a shambles. How many years is he going to be able to do that? I want you to understand something. Do you know who put the three and a half year limit on it? God's controlling all of this. He doesn't let him go for years and years and years. It's a limited time. Why? Because God's in control. Revelation 12, 7. But there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels. By the way, the word Michael means who is like God. It's a rhetorical question. Who is like God? Nobody. How different is the name Michael, who is like God, as compared to Satan who says, I will ascend to the mount of the Most High. I will sit on the throne. I will be like him. Two polar opposites. Michael uh, and his angels fight against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon wasn't strong enough, thank God. And they lost their place in heaven. That whole thing of the devil coming up to God and accusing you and me during halfway through the tribulation, I think that speculation, he's kicked out. He's not allowed to accuse no more. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He's hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers, the devil, Satan, the great dragon, old Slewfoot. Now have come the salvation, the power, the kingdom of God and the authority of Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before our God day and night. That dude is not allowed to come before God anymore. He's been hurled to the earth. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What is the word of their testimony? Redeemed, redeemed, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's their song. Whenever the devil accuses you, church, he can't get past the blood. Whenever he accuses you, they can't get past the cross. Church, we're 2,000 years later, but maybe there's still power in the blood. And the accuser of the brother can say whatever he wants, but it doesn't take away the power of the blood. And who you are and whose you are. All right. At this point in the apocalypse, Satan is cast out from heaven after a tremendous war in heaven. Michael, by the way. My angelology is not what it should be, I guess. Uh, but I believe that God has certain angels in charge for different regions of the earth. The angel that's in charge of the area of the Middle East or Israel in particular would have been Michael. If you look in the book of Daniel, he prays to God. And God sends an answer with the archangel Michael. And... He prays, and about 21 days later, Michael shows up with the answer. He said, dude, I, I came the moment you prayed, but I've been wrestling with the enemy, with the demon that's been assigned to here. That tells me this, Glenn. Michael is God's special angel for Israel. Case in point. Do you remember back last week, I think it was in Jude chapter 9, that the Bible says there was an angel wrestling with the devil for the body of Moses? Okay, that was in Israel. Do you remember the name of the Michael? I'm, do you remember the name of Michael? Do you remember the name of the angel? Michael. Brilliant, Fogerson. Michael is the angel for that area. Do you remember who do you remember who the devil goes after when he's thrown down to the earth? Israel. Why would there be another angel? 
Why would there be another angel other than Michael who fights back? Verse 11, they overcame the blood of the Lamb, the word of the testimony. They did not love their lives so much as shrink from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens below, and, and you who dwell uh, in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because this time is short. Church, at this point in the apocalypse, Satan's cast down. And there's a tremendous uh, hell released on the earth. The devil that accuses the church and Christians before God is physically forced from heaven. Jane, I'm going to jump. Is that Jane back here? Jane, I'm going to jump down. Um, no, I'm not. Uh, um, this is where I think this happens. The devil the, accuses the church and Christians. They are before God. I really have to preach this to you guys. There is a judgment coming that all of you and me will stand in front of God. Not to see if we're saved. That took place at the cross. But you and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And this is where we are, giving, we are given our rewards for eternity. Where we're given our, our pension for forever, if you will. And what we get and what we receive is based upon what we do. Your salvation is not based upon what you do. Your eternal re rewards are. Preach, I've never heard that. Okay. Let me show it to you. 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the... Okay, he's talking to the church at Corinth. He's not talking to Joe, uh, Joe down the road. He's talking to Christians. For we, church, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one may receive what is due him for the things he's done in the body, whether good or bad. Y'all, I believe that while this event is occurring, while the saints of all the ages are coming before God and they're, they're getting their, their rewards and their crowns and things like that, I think every time somebody comes up to the throne, this is what I think the devil is doing. God's getting ready to give, give rewards, and the devil is saying, don't you remember what he did to his wife? Or don't you remember what she did to her kids? Or don't you remember that, that how he cheated on that test? Don't you remember all of that? And he stands there and he accuses everybody. I don't know about you, but if he did that for me, I'm ready to kick him out too. No wonder heaven erupts with rejoicing because the accuser of the brethren is kicked out. I believe that while this event is occurring, all the saints through the ages are there for their reward, and the devil raises up what we've done. And you know what God says? I don't know what you're talking about. They've been forgiven, and they've been forgotten. Amen. Enter into my rest. What about you? It kind of makes my, kind of makes my spirit tingle a little bit. All right. In this whole description, the one thing I see in all of this is that everybody had a choice. Everybody had a choice. Israel had a choice. They could either choose to be God's wife and be faithful to him, or they could go around and play the harlot. They made a choice. The devil, the dragon, he had a choice. He could either worship in the presence of God and in the beauty of his holiness, or he could begin to think some of that shine was coming off of him. He made his choice. The angels in heaven, every stinking one of them had a choice. They could either follow the sovereign God of the universe who is 12 million and O, or follow the devil. They had a choice. 
Jesus had a choice. Father, if this cup should pass from me, I would sure like for it to be so, but Lord, your will be done and not mine. Jesus had a choice. Nobody gets to stay neutral. Nobody gets to say, um, I'm a conscientious observer. You have to make a choice. You have to make a decision. Preach, I don't know about that. Matthew 12. Those who are not for me are against me. And if you're not gathering, then you're scattering. Cousin, we have to make a choice. Why bother, Mike? What's the matter? I'm, I'm saved. I got baptized when I was a kid. I give. I serve where I'm needed. I go to connect groups sometimes. I read my Bible. I'm pray and go. I even ate with the preacher and his wife one time. Okay. Are you a Christian or are you a follower of Jesus? Because there's a vast difference in the two. The difference between being a sold-out Christian on fire for God and one who's just going through the motion, it's boiled down to two words, and I've shared this at Connect Group. It's good enough. That's the difference between a person who's sold out for God and a person who's just running through the, through the ritual. It's good enough. I, I hope I'm good enough. I hope I'm good enough for God to be happy with me. I wish I knew what I had to do for God to be happy with me. No, I don't. Because this is what I would do, Linda. I would, I would know exactly what God wants me to do, and I won't do much more than that. That's me. And I think that's why in Scripture, there, is, you know, there, there are no end marks there. They're, they're just, come follow me. A follower spends their life trying to look like the perfect. They, they spend their life trying to look like Jesus. What's our goal, Brother Mike? Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, because your Father is what? If you want to know what our goal is, it's not to be like Glenn, or it's not to be like Tim, or it's not like to be like Linda. Our goal as a Christian is to be like Jesus. Preach, I can't do that. I know, he knows that. But I don't know about you. I think every probably single one of us in this room could do better. We could probably do more. Man, you're saved and you're going to heaven, but you need to understand something. You're saved and you're going to heaven, not because of who you are, but because of Jesus. And if that's not worth living the rest of our life to be like him, then I don't know what is. I want to ask you two quick questions. Uh, based on how you live your life, what you're passionate about, how you care for others, how you spend your discretionary time and, and money, would your spouse, your children, and your closest friends characterize you as a Christian or they characterize you as a serious follower of Jesus? What would they say? And you and I both know there's a difference. Now, that's the first question I want to ask you. Now I want to ask you the second question. Let's just totally forget about the first one. Would Jesus say you're a Christian? Or a follower of Jesus? Because you know what? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks but Him. It doesn't matter. If we really believe that we're created by God, saved by the blood of His Son, the Holy Spirit is living inside of us, why would we not spend the rest of our life trying to look like Jesus? To live, with a fully, uh, to live fully devoted to Him as we could. And you know what? I threw out some things out there just to give you something to shoot at. Three out of four Sundays. 80% of us come into a connect group. 80% of us involved in a ministry in this church one hour a month. And I'll be honest with you, church. Those are really low. 
but at least I'm giving you something to shoot at. And you know what? Some of you need to shoot higher because you're not even hitting the paper. You have a choice to make today. What are your church? What are your choices? That's what Jesus. That's what Jesus said in John 14. And I'm about done. I figure I made you mad enough. But I love you, church. Whoever has my commands and whoever knows my commands and obeys them, he's the one who. All right. He who does not love me does not obey me. You see what he did there? That was sneaky. He tied love with obedience. Well, preacher, I thought God's going to love me no matter what I do. He will. That's not the point of this text. It's not about God's love being shown to you. God's saying, hey, if you love me, you'll obey me. I don't like that, preach. It's okay. It's not your book. Jesus is connecting these two. He says, if you love me, you'll do what I say. Church, Jesus is telling us that obedience to him isn't a condition for him loving us. It's evidence of our love for him. You've been given scripture and insight today that removes the defense of lack of knowledge. Preacher, I didn't know I was going to have to stand before God. I thought all that was taken care of. Your salvation is taken care of, my friend. You don't have to worry a thing about that. It's done. It's irrevocable. I don't know about you. I don't want to go through heaven. I don't want to go through all of eternity with nothing. I want to be found obedient. I want to be called good and faithful. Am I getting that arrogant? No. I want to please God. What do you want to do? I want to be like him. That's what I want to spend my life doing. Man, I read this. I'm, all, I'm done. Uh, Matthew 8. How many of y'all been doing your reading in, Ma in Matthew? Okay, six of you. Great. Um, Jesus is hanging out with the crowd, and one of them come up to him. I think it was a scribe. Says, "Man, what I got to do? I want to follow you." And Jesus said, "Dude, foxes. They, the, the the fox has a hole, and the birds have nests, but the Son of God doesn't have a place to lay his head." You remember that verse? Okay. Another dude comes up to him and says, "Man, I want to follow you, but I give me a second. Let me go bury my dad." Jesus said, "Dude, let the dead bury the dead." Very next verse. It says, Jesus got in the boat and his disciples followed him. That's the words. They followed him. They get in the boat, man, and all hell breaks loose, wind and rain and things like that. Of course, anytime Jesus gets in a boat, he's like a two-year-old in a car. He goes to sleep. Uh, Jesus is down there and the, man, this thing's coming up and the disciples says, dude, what are we going to do? They will wake JC up in the boat and says, man, come on, get up. And Jesus looks at him and says, why are you so timid? You men of little faith. Now in Marion County where I grew up, I won't say what that meant. But what that means here is, you big sissy. What are you scared for? And the Bible says he got up, he shut things down. I guess he goes back to sleep and the men are saying, the Bible says the men were amazed and they said, what kind of man is this that the seas and the wind obey him? I tell you what, those other two dudes who said, let me go bury my dad. And the one who changed his mind because he wasn't going to stay at a nice La Quinta Inn every night. They never experienced any of that because they chose not to get in the boat. And brother, I'd rather be in the boat in the middle of a storm with Jesus 
than up on the shore by my daggum self. You've got a choice. Every cotton-picking thing in that Revelation 12 had a choice. And so do you. Every head bowed, every eye closed. This wasn't an easy sermon to hear, I'm assuming, because it wasn't an easy sermon to preach. Because what you received today, it wasn't a sermon, oh, you're great, let me pat you on the back, keep it up. This is a sermon that cuts us to the bone. This is a sermon that cuts us to the quick. You see, our goal is to please God. And we're going to have to stand before him one of these days. Each of us is going to have to give account of, them, of ourselves before God. If that's the case, then make it your goal to please him. For some of you, it's going to start with some simple decisions. For some of you, it's as simple as picking up your Bible every day. For some of you, it's going to be getting involved in a ministry. Some of you need to teach. Some of you need to be leading worship. Some of you need to be back in that sound booth. You have a choice to make. Nobody gets to stay neutral in this. If you would, I'm going to ask you to please stand. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Lord God, as we go into the time of invitation, I pray that as my people are being searched by their heart by you, sweet Holy Spirit. Father, I pray as this, as, as this altar becomes, that, that it is trans... It's transformed into a place of healing. It's transformed into a place where brokenness comes restoration. Where conviction becomes commitment. Where disease becomes healing. Lord God, I pray that you would just make this a sacred place as your children come to you. Now as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, this morning as I open up this invitation... This morning, if you know that you need to make a commitment, a recommitment, a reaffirmation of your commitment, maybe you need to double down on your commitment. I'm not going to belabor the invitation long, but this morning, if you would like to make a commitment to God just to renew it or to restore or double down, then I'm just going to ask you to come to the front and just simply take, take a couple of moments and tell God. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, as this invitation begins, I just pray that, Holy Spirit, you would draw us to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Father God, find us ready. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And amen. Would you come this morning? The invitation is open. Would you come? Maybe just take care of business with God. Would you come? The invitation is open. Thank you. People are coming already. You won't have to take long. Just renew a commitment this morning. Renew a commitment. Renew a relationship. Maybe you just need to search the heart of God for what He wants you to do. Children die. Days grew. Say, God, give me a word. Wow. Anyone else? There's no time. Anyone else? Now's your time to come forward. Would you come forward this morning?
There's another one. Anyone else? Change of Anyone else? Mind, the sun has you don't have to stay long. You don't have to stay long enough. When you're done. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Brother Christian just continued to play for me, buddy. Every head bowed, every head bowed, every eye closed. This morning, if you need to come forward, this is your time. Sir, you've been struggling, and you should have been up here 30 seconds ago, but you haven't. You're going to be miserable unless you give in to the Holy Spirit right now. So I encourage you to leave. Ma'am, I encourage you the same. I encourage you the same. Would you come right now? God will do more for you the next 30 seconds than you can do for yourself in the next three years. Would you come? I won't keep it much longer. I won't keep it much longer. I promise I won't. Still coming. Anybody else still coming? 